0: Welcome to the second episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South with me, Bill Kimmler.
1: Hi, Jamil Brooks.
0: You know what? The first episode went so well. Uh, we've had 15 people listen to it. Yay. all thought it was fantastic. 15. And we decided to come back for a second week and a second try at this. How are you feeling today, Jamil?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: Doing super fantastic. Yay. I'm going to tell you a little something about me that you don't know. That phrase, super fantastic. Yes. You've heard me use it before, right? Yes. Let me tell you where that came from, because I didn't invent that phrase. I heard it. I stole it.
1: From where?
0: 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago, I worked for a company, and I was involved in technology and went to a technology conference with a bunch of people from this company, and I forget where this conference was. Maybe it was in St. Louis, if I if I remember correctly. But regardless, I went there and at these conferences, there's always these different sessions you can go to to learn this and that. There are vendor booths you can go visit. There's dinner and entertainment. Sometimes, if it's a big event, they'll bring a rock band to come and play for you. But they always also have opening speakers to kind of kick off the event or to open up a morning where everybody gathers together. And at this one particular conference I went to, they had a motivational speaker start off the proceedings on one morning. Okay. So there's hundreds of us sitting in chairs in this big room. And this guy gets up. And I remember very little about this guy. I don't know his name. I don't remember what he looks like. I just remember how ridiculous I thought he sounded. (laughs) As a motivational speaker, he had nothing to say except, you know, cheerleading stuff. Woohoo, rah, rah, you can do this. You know, practically lighting <laughs> coals on the stage and walking across them barefoot, you know, to show the power of oh, positivity, that type of thing. Yeah. But one thing he said was, guess what? that word super fantastic
1: and you remember that he made
0: the entire audience repeated back to him because he says if you say that word that way you can't help but feel super fantastic
1: i kind of believe
0: it and of the whole conference i don't even remember what the conference was about (laughs) the only thing i remembered was the phrase super fantastic we're putting that on shirts and, and that was after me spending the entire session making fun of this dude.
1: <laughs> that's going on a shirt for real.
0: <laughs> and, and, like uh, it. and it stuck with me. So that's how I'm feeling. And, I'm, and I hope you're feeling the same. Yes. Great. It's
1: contagious.
0: Well, this week we're going to do something different. We have brought some structure into our episode. We're going to start off with the news.
1: Oh, yes.
2: For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news.
0: First of all, are you familiar with the various lawsuits that Donald Trump has is under? Oh the my indictments, gosh, that was lawsuits, going to be one of my topics, yes. All right, so I'm going to talk about one in particular, um, and that involves a writer named Jean Carroll. Okay. And she had filed a claim against Donald Trump that he sexually assaulted her, that he raped her. This goes back to the mid-90s, I believe. Okay. And there's a whole story behind it. She, I don't think she filed a lawsuit directly about the action itself, but more about, um, what do you call it, defamation. Oh, okay. Because Trump went on to the internet, uh, you know, his Truth Social or his Twitter, and just completely talked crap about her. Oh, wow. So she filed a lawsuit in New York, in New York City, okay, saying that, uh, there was a defamation, you know, that the stuff he was saying was false, was impugning her character. And the jury, that's how she actually went to jury, came back and found him guilty. Okay. And assessed a $5 million fine, which is pocket change for a guy that can send out an email and raise $100 million, you know, by snapping his fingers. Yes. But the jury's verdict was unanimous. The only thing that the jury failed to conclude was that Trump raped her using a very narrow definition of the law that defines rape in New York State. So New York State has a very specific definition of oh, what wow. entitles rape. The jury was not unanimous on that. But in terms of uh, forcing himself upon her, assaulting her otherwise, I, the jury found him guilty. Wow. Now, what I want to do is actually want to play a clip. There is a congressman from California. His name is Ted Liu. Now, you have to forgive me if I pronounce it incorrectly, but he's Asian-American, I believe, uh, Chinese descent, but he served in uh, American military. He's a veteran. He's a congressman. He is one of the brightest and funniest congressmen in this nation. And and you'll be hearing his name in the future. But he addressed Congress recently.
2: And I want to play the clip right now. On July 19th, 2023, Federal Judge Lewis Kaplan rejected Donald Trump's request for a new trial and confirmed that Donald Trump raped E. Jean Carroll. I'm going to submit this court ruling into the Congressional record, and now I'm going to read you what the judge found. On page 43, the judge wrote, Ms. Carroll testified that the sexual assault, the rape of which she accused Mr. Trump, involved especially painful forced digital penetration. The judge further writes, The testimony of the outcry witnesses, Ms. Birnbach and Ms. Martin, corroborated the essence of Ms. Carroll's account of a violent, traumatic sexual assault. On page 44, the judge wrote, the jury's finding of sexual abuse therefore necessarily implies that it found that Mr. Trump forcibly penetrated her vagina. The judge further writes, in other words, that he raped her. I yield back.
0: So what's your immediate
1: reaction upon seeing that? I keep saying, I wish you could show my face. Utter frustration. I automatically went to what is New York's definition of rape? And then I'm wondering, how is it that this particular individual seems to be... Talking about the congressman? No, I'm actually specifically talking about Trump. I'm just trying to, I'm wondering, how is it that this individual can have so many things brought against him and still be on a ballot, heading towards a ballot. I can't get past the fact that this is what he was found guilty of. There are people who still proceed to dump millions of dollars into campaigns to support this individual doing what for us as a nation.
0: What do you think about the congressman bringing that up in the House (laughs) <laughs> being recorded, being broadcast and using the graphic language that the judge used in his rulings. What do you feel about that? I action? think that's fine.
1: I think that's fine. I think that the people need to hear it. It needs to be brought up in Congress. Um the judge wrote it, so read it. I don't have any any problems with him restating what has already been found. That at that point is fact. That is what has been written in a record. So, read it.
0: I thought it was brilliant just to get that as part of the congressional
1: record. And so said that gets, I'm submitting it. And I thought, wow. That oh, gets typed wow. up
0: and it's there forever.
1: And your name is associated now, with that.
0: Now, there may be people who say it was inappropriate. He he uh, broke decorum. But then, hey, last week there was a, a subcommittee, a House subcommittee that Marjorie Taylor Greene is on. And out of the blue, she whips out a poster that has a blown up picture of Hunter Biden's genitalia. Uh, yeah. Do you remember that from the news? I do. And and so I think any criticism of Representative Lou, you know, reading it's from pointless. a judge's uh, ruling is absolutely ridiculous. It's pointless.
1: And I think that descriptions such as what um, was read in the house is necessary.
0: Listen, if a congressman had to go up and read a statement like that about me, I would dig a hole so far in the you ground never, and never
1: come out. I would try to pull each one of the letters in my name from the alphabet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just would not. That's horrible. So I chose a very hot topic from a national standpoint that is entitled, which this is really cool article, as red states target black history lessons, blue states embrace them. So here we are revisiting how to tell the story of the ancestors. Um, And what is being said in this particular piece is that in order to prevent further division, it is in the best interest, and I'm paraphrasing, that we do not tell the story of slavery and how African-Americans were treated in a way that presents our Caucasian counterparts in a bad way.
0: Where is this article from? This is the Washington Post so this is an opinion piece in the yes, Washington Post, it really and is. they're saying, in the interest of unity, let's water down the slavery
1: topic. Well, the the red states are saying we okay. shouldn't. So when this piece was written, it gave you a stance on both blue states and red states. Blue, blue states are saying, tell the stories of all cultures that are represented in our states, whereas red states are saying, pull back on slavery because it's harsh, and we don't want to corrupt the minds of young adults and children in schools. So don't teach it in the schools. Here's what you should say. So instead of showing and telling the story the way history was written, and the way it occurred, what is happening now is they want to dress it up as if slaves were, and I'm paraphrasing, voluntarily participating in the abuse that they endured or that they gained so much. They learned so much traits and different things that it could have potentially benefited them. This blows my mind. This blows my mind. And I, I keep trying to wonder why is it that individuals that we elect to sit in the House and the Senate spend their time working on issues that they shouldn't. I do not think that a politician should be able to tell a historian how to recount history and how to write it. I don't think you should be able to do that. Well,
0: if you listen to Ron DeSantis' response. I refuse
1: to. Oh, gosh.
0: He was a really asked, a pointed question by a journalist. Yes. And his response was, Listen, I didn't write those standards. You'd have to go to the Education Commission in Florida and talk to them. But I agree with it. I stand behind them. Now, of course, this is a commission that he has created, appointed, you know, put in all his cronies. (laughs) But then he's going to wash his hands of their conclusions.
1: He has to wash his hands of it now because what's in the news for him is that as many Republicans as he thought, he does not have the support if his campaign is going to be based on anti-woke Propaganda.
0: Here's one thing that I've learned over the last 10 years is that there is no idea or statement so ridiculous that it can't find millions of people to figure out a way to support so? it. <laughs> I remember when Trump was new to the stage 2015, maybe it was late 2014, and he yeah. announces he's running, and he talks about building a big, beautiful wall along oh, the entire gosh. border between Mexico and the United States. The prevailing reaction at the time was, what an idiot. That's yeah. the stupidest. That's going to be his his whole platform is build a wall. And it worked. And you know what, it worked. Put and money it, into it really just boggled my mind that that became, a chant phrase at his rallies, build the wall. In fact, I learned that if you can take any concept and put it into three words that people can chant, (laughs) people will support it.
1: But you know, from a technological standpoint, you know, that's what they prefer. We can keep it short, keep your attention, give you little spurts of something, and that keeps you coming back. Um, And so the deeper or the longer the pieces that you have to read, of course, you don't get all the readers that you want. But from this particular concept, not all states are doing this, let's just say. So right now I'm focusing primarily on Florida because DeSantis is in the limelight. But he is saying, don't teach it. Or as he says, the committee is saying, don't teach it the way it occurred. Let's just dress this up and put a bow on it and let people know that, hey, you know, black people welcome this whole slavery idea they didn't have a problem with doing what they were doing well, let me warn you of this whatever florida does
0: south carolina will do the next year yeah so here's where south carolina is at south carolina is passing this anti-crt bs oh. where you can't talk about it florida's gone that step further it says no you know what not only are we going to talk about it, we're going to talk about it in a way that it didn't happen. Exactly. We're going to make up our own history exactly. and
1: push it. So I wasn't even going to take on the CRT because the CRT for South Carolina is ludicrous. That is that is crazy like no other. So I I ask myself, and this is coming from individuals who represent people of all different backgrounds, if you're looking at who's sitting in the House and the Senate. And I keep saying this because we're approaching an election. And if we as citizens don't put people in the seat that represent us, we are doing ourselves a disservice. So I'm wondering, how is it that we don't want a population? Now, we are the melting pot. We welcome cultures from all over the world, for the most part, to come build homes here, raise families here. But yet we don't want certain cultures to be reminded and learn about their history. We don't want them to learn where they came from. But if you don't know where you came from, you don't have a clue where you're going. So I'm going to help those that sit in the House and Senate, and I'm going to put this in a business perspective. If you are, I don't know, you got a multimillion dollar company, you drew up a business plan, a marketing strategy for one particular product, you invest millions of dollars in it and it bombs. Your company takes a massive hit. 10, 20 years go down the road. Somebody brings you an idea similar. Do you want it documented that this is not the way we should run this company if we want to make our money? Most business owners would say, yes, I would love to go back and look at the history of this particular product line to see where it made us money, where we lost money, so we don't make that same mistake again. That is teaching the history of African Americans. Why is it that we, as a nation, are still fighting the same wars that our ancestors fought? History does not teach or promote hate. It is the deliverer of the message of history that teaches and promotes hate so if you have the resources there and the individuals that are teaching history are teaching historical facts that have been documented over and over again the hate is not coming from what is written the hate comes from the message and that message is coming from home not necessarily saying that what they're learning in schools is converting them i don't think that's true and now on with the show
0: So the main topic of our episode today is a political origin story. I'm a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'll nerd out. I've watched all the Marvel <laughs> films several times each. I love them. I can't get enough of them. And every one of them has the superhero origin story. So I ask you today, okay. what is your political origin story. What was, when was it that you became interested in the world of politics and started paying attention to the world around you?
1: So I'm going all the way back to when my grandmother uh, and grandfather were alive. We would have family discussions. And how
0: old are you at this time?
1: Um, maybe I remember them at 10 and 11 years old. I remember when it was election time, we would go from house to house and discuss who was running. We would help my grandmother by helping her build her ballot so she'd know who to look for, grandfather, um, and it was a ritual that we always went to the polls with our parents and grandparents. I was hooked from then. Um, as I aged, I think what is, and, and even now to this point, what is causing me to, we'll say, catapult this far forward and being almost a political junkie is the fact that there is such a need for the middle class working citizens to not be forgotten. So... What I watched was my parents and my grandparents work day in and day out, but still have to keep working day in and day out. Well, what's wrong with that? You're supposed to work day in and day yeah, out. Yeah, but you, you're supposed to work day in and day out, but it shouldn't be where you stay in your category so that those that are considered rich or richer can continue to get richer. And I think that's what's happening in the way the policies and procedures are written across the state and across the United States.
0: Now, are you saying you knew this or you recognized this? I recognized
1: this early from being able to see resources that were available for some but not available for all. That is what pushes me from the political standpoint. I want to make sure that if you are here, resources that are available should be available for all, not just some.
0: Who's the first U.S. president you remember?
1: I almost said that. Um, but <laughs> um, It's not of Nixon. So yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I remember the Bushes. Okay. I do remember the Bushes, one and two. All right. Reagan. Of course, I remember Reagan because Reagan's birthday was my birthday. It's my birthday. No kidding. We share the same birthday. All right. Yeah. Won't hold that against you. Okay, I know, but it was kind of cool.
0: <laughs> my earliest memory was as an elementary school student in the late 70s. This was 79, maybe 80. Because uh, it was just before the 1980 election. It was Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan. Okay. So that was the first time I remember to recognize politics in our country. And I remember distinctly writing on, and this is in the school itself, and I had my crayon or pencil and a paper or something, and I wrote, Jimmy Carter is an ass.
1: Wow.
0: I wrote that down. Again, this is nine-year-old me. Wow. Maybe eight and a half, right? Yeah. Did I know who Jimmy Carter was versus Reagan? No. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did I learn certain feelings about Jimmy Carter yes. from home or somewhere else? Yes. You bet I did. Yes. Uh, so certainly I was not of a mind to know the difference. And I cringe when I see uh, videos online or news clips of little children at rallies mm-hmm. being interviewed. Yes. To me, that is a loss of innocence right there. Oh they my need gosh. to be out. Oh my God. There's there's plenty they can do to get active in communities, be involved in organizations, maybe see certain things about the society that's not fair, but to sit at a political rally.
1: Yeah. You would you know this COVID time, this past the epidemic, I was amazed at how many children have been at the table talking to their parents and have had strong positions of their stance for or against a president. And they would only drop one line. And I could tell that that one line was what had been engraved in them from home to say, don't support this president because of that.
0: I grew up in a very conservative household. Uh, Roman Catholic. I went to Catholic grade school, high school, altar boy, all that stuff. And then I went off to college uh, to a pretty liberal school in northern New Jersey. And I remember that first year, I wrote a letter to the student paper uh, that espoused a pro-life view. And I can almost recite it to you because it was all the same talking points that you would hear every day, <laughs> right? Sanctity yes. of life in the world yes. and all that stuff. Yes. And I just, it, it, and by the end of my freshman year, once I had gotten exposed not to professors indoctrinating me, I mean, I, I was a physics and math major. My calculus professor yeah. was not up there talking policy. No one. <laughs> But talking to other students my age and their backgrounds and, and starting to get my eyes opened, whoo, did I, did I change course pretty quickly in a couple of
1: years? Yeah. So I, I'm, not, I'm not against the, having the family conversations, but I think there's a line that you have to draw when it comes to involving children. So, yeah, when you're at the rallies and you're at these different things, I think that's a place that may be a bit much. But again, it's not it's, – it's the messenger, and it's the message. So it's up to the parents what they do. Who was the
0: first presidential election that you got involved in? Do you recall who you cast your very first vote for? Oh, I
1: don't. But I know that as soon as I was able to vote, I was voting. I mean, because it was a rituals. It wasn't second guess. I think with the adolescent population that I talk to now, which I talk to frequently, um, they are somewhat removed from the importance or the value of that right So they're not rushing to sign up to vote. But for us, my generation, it was, wait, I get to vote? Let me sign up now. Um, And it was always a big thing. I
0: I had a a more satirical view of politics. For most of my life, I did. So I'll give this perfect example. My senior year of college was 1992, and that was during the Clinton-Bush election. But there was a third-party candidate. Do you remember who it was? He was the most popular third-party candidate that ever ran for office. Even got a good percentage of the vote. Do you recall Ross Perot? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes, I he do. He would do the little
0: infomercials on TV <laughs> with the charts and, and he had this way of talking because he was from Texas. And he would flip this and talk about the great sucking sound of –
1: Ross Perot, do remember. Oh, he was
0: just great. So he was kind of – and again, I viewed politics more as comedy. Okay. Back in my in my early twenties, mm-hmm. there one day there was a, a a message that spread throughout my college campus that candidate Bill Clinton was coming to do a rally at our school. Now we, it was a small school, okay. two three thousand students at most. Right, this wasn't a big university, but it was beautiful backdrop, beautiful setting. And within the afternoon, the whole place transformed, and Governor Bill Clinton showed up on campus, wow. gave a rally. And everybody was there cheering them on while well, me and my my buddies, we got cracking and uh, we wrote a huge sign oh that gosh. said Ross for boss. Oh, my goodness. And as Clinton was speaking, we're in the back with this huge sign parading it up and down again as a joke because <laughs> Ross Perot was comical. It was <laughs> the funny thing going on. Next thing I know, I'm being interviewed by two or three newspapers, oh, national media, about why do I support Ross Perot. I didn't, you know, but I was there just to make a noise. And, yes. And I think most of politics is rattle rousing sometimes. Yes. But <laughs> fast forward a couple of months – I was asked to participate in a mock presidential debate. So, this was maybe a couple of weeks before that November election. Okay. And they had the president of the young Republicans stand in for Bush, the president of the young Democrats standing for Clinton. I got asked if I would stand in for <laughs> oh Ross my Perot. Gosh. And I'll show you the picture because uh, I had gotten these big old ears oh to gosh, put on my ears. Oh, you take these the big old plastic series. ears. <laughs> Plus, I had a mullet that was a half mile long. I kid you not. And I went up there and I did a spot on Ross Perot accent. Oh, my gosh. I think I might even have a a cassette tape of it somewhere. (laughs) It was just perfect. Uh, But really, for the most part, and I voted in that election. And for the most part, that was the extent Mm. of my political involvement. I always voted on the presidential election cycles okay. i don't even think i knew there was an off presidential cycle to vote oh, in. wow i remember i voted for john mccain over oh, okay. barack obama okay again i wanted the best guy to win yeah you know and i thought mccain was more experienced i liked that he was a war veteran i've seen him speak yeah. i didn't know sarah palin i didn't pay much attention to Daddy what either. she turned out to be yeah I thought Barack Obama spoke very well and was charismatic, but yeah. I thought he was like only 28 years old. Yeah. I don't want a guy, a young guy running the yeah. for president, you know? Yeah. But I have to say I'm glad he did. He he won. <laughs> uh, he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Four years later I voted for him yeah. over Romney. But I really didn't feel a strong affiliation to a political party or another. Yeah. And and truly, it wasn't until two things occurred. One that I Moved to South Carolina. That'll that'll help you. And I saw just how, gosh, I would say mean-spirited politics is down here.
1: Welcome to the South.
0: Yeah. And I I just never noticed it before. But when I saw stuff that our congressman, Jeff Duncan, was writing on the Facebook page. Stuff that Representative McCravey would say. Mm. Just, I was like, really? You're allowed to say that? Just say whatever. people support you? And they do. And then the election of Trump followed as well oh, my and and those two things got me off the sideline mm. And fast-forwarded me into the activist you see before you. Well, I'm glad. I'm so
1: glad that those things occurred. Let me occurred. share with you a story.
0: The, I'll tell you, there was actually a news article that got me involved. Oh. This was my trigger point. So okay. You talk about you know, Listen. the Hulk getting his gamma radiation yes. or Batman you know, with his parents getting murdered, and that's all their origin story. This is my origin story. It goes okay. back to the first month of Trump being the president of this country. Okay. Now, I thought he was a nut job. Uh, From the very beginning. I also thought that once he was elected, that the weight of the office would settle in, that he would surround himself with serious people, and he would be just like a a Bush or a Reagan or whatever and Mm -hmm. just do his thing.
1: I didn't see that happening.
0: No, it just – maybe it was me being naive. But everything went off the rails. And what triggered me to get involved – and off the sidelines was the uh, Muslim travel ban oh, from goodness. January 2017. Mm-hmm. And there was specifically a news article that hit home. Um, the headline was Clemson grad detained at Dubai airport, not allowed to return to the United States. So this is a story of Clemson University graduate student Nazanin Zanouri. Mm. Again, forgive the mispronunciation, but she yeah. was Iranian, I believe. And she had gone to visit family in Iran that winter. She was on a break. She was a data scientist, mm-hmm. which was what I was studying at the time, which is probably why this which story is what we value resonated. Here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went off to visit. And then, as she was boarding the plane to come back, that ban had been enacted. She was forced off the plane mm. and not allowed to return to the United States for months. She's posting on Facebook here was her quote After waiting in the line, to get my documents checked, and after 40 minutes of questions and answers, I boarded the plane to Washington, only to have two TSA officers getting in and ask me to disembark the plane. Yes, after almost seven years of living in the United States, I got deported. Now, she had uh, you know, her, her all her belongings back in the United States, her dog, her puppy back in the United States, And now there was this invisible barrier that says, no, you can't come back. We don't care who you are. Mm. And for months, she was trapped overseas in a land that, you know, wasn't hers. Mm -hmm. She she was American. Yeah. But because of her immigration status and the fact that she was Muslim, and it really hit hard for me that the government has power to disrupt lives like nobody's business. Now, I will admit, this is where my white privilege came in, that it took me until my mid-40s to freaking figure that out. (laughs) And and I know some people have been living with that knowledge yes. their entire lives. Yes. So I have made it a mission to get to learn those stories, learn what the government is capable of. Yes. And when they overstep their bounds, fight it in all the means that I have at my disposal.
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That that happens so much um i don't know that's a touchy topic in terms of how could you have someone who is invested and in given seven years and then you say no you stay over there i mean
0: eventually she was able to make it back
1: but imagine what Many she went days through. later imagine and her
0: dog was waiting for her at the airport And when i saw you know her coming down the escalator and the dog rushing up to her aisle, i just bawled yeah uh, i was like i i can't believe this occurred and the first thing i did was was ping um congressman jeff duncan asked if he was aware of it he didn't care yeah he he was a pure trump sock wearing trump you know and and,
1: and for for anyone who is what you just described that is out of pure fear and not out of um what was out of fear of the policy the hatred that's associated with it, the ability to not even be concerned that those policies are having such a strong negative impact on certain a certain group of people, that in itself is that white privilege. And see, I think when situations like that happen, I'm going to say something that's, that may make a couple of people grab their pearls. What I have found is that when other cultures migrate to the United States, the darker that cultures, the more melanin they have in their skin the more they face setbacks that should not be there, not genuine setbacks. Um, It's not as a smooth of a transition as it is for, you know, my white brothers and sisters. It is not. It's not as smooth of a transition. And whenever we go to talk about that as members of the black community, you automatically get hit with we are trying to preach like a woke type of state. I, let me just pause and say Governor McMaster's did a commercial that mentioned woke, in a paid for commercial. And I don't know who was on his crew that did not tell him to throw that one in the trash. That, um, when you say represent yourself a little bit better, that was a poor style commercial. But anyway, I think that those individuals are so full of hate that they don't care how they get it out as long as they get it out.
0: Well, with that, we need to call an end to our episode. I thank you very much for staying with us during this time, Jamel. It was good chatting with
1: you. Thank you. Good chatting with you. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) <laughs> Bill's waiting on me to do our ending music, but it's not I've happening. We got it
0: recorded, so it doesn't matter if you do it or not.
1: There's a thing called cut and paste. Have you heard of it? I'm going to get paid off of that.
0: Oh, you, you want royalties now. Okay, you're you, welcome to half you, the income I make off this podcast. Zero. <laughs> that's it. Right down the middle. You can have the top half of the zero,
1: I'll take the bottom half. That's what a partnership does. I appreciate it.
0: Until next time, this is Bill.
1: See ya. Do, 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 The end.
2: The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023.
1: All rights reserved.